Hey guys, what's up? I appreciate you guys, especially my freshman boys, even though they're sophomores. I appreciate you. Always and forever be my freshman boys, even when you have kids and you're married. If that ever happens, you'll always be my freshman boys. Okay, so as you guys know, I'm the middle school director here at Christchurch, and I get the opportunity every week to teach middle schoolers, and it's always a ton of fun. But whenever I get the offer to teach at Chig, I always jump at that as well because I love you guys, and I love coming up here. I love the excuse, and I, I love getting up here. And I also, especially particularly this series, I love the Word of God. That's what I'm going to school for. I'm going to school to study the Word of God, to, to be able to be out of school and be, still be able to study the Word of God because I have a high value on that. I grew up a dad's pat. I grew up a dad's pastor. I grew up a pastor's kid. My dad was a pastor. He preached the word of God every week for most of my life. So I, it was always kind of bouncing around the walls of my house. And I've always really valued that. But this pa- the past few weeks at middle school, we've been going over a very specific series that I thought would be good to kind of talk about here. And it's called Follow. And the idea is what it's like to follow Christ. What it's like to have a relationship with him. What it looks like. What you need to do. And how it benefits your life. And that's what we've kind of been going through in the Cove Room the past couple of weeks. And it's been a really good series. And I've, I've come to learn that this is something that everybody needs to know. This is something that everybody should have a grasp of. Whether you're, you are a Christian or not, this is a, an idea that will change your life. And so when I think about following Christ, I think of like the first Christ followers. And those were the 12 disciples, right? And they were people that literally followed Christ. Like, like not only did they spiritually follow Christ, like how we do, but they literally like, were with him. He traveled from city to city all throughout Galilee, teaching and preaching um, his, his message, the kingdom of God, and, and also doing signs and miracles, going everywhere all throughout Israel. And people followed him, and he, and he, and he accrued a following. Not just the 12, but a big f- group of people would follow him from city to city teaching, just to hear his words and see the signs that he would do. But there were a specific number of followers that were named, and they were the 12 disciples, and they go on to be the 12 apostles, and, they, and they, they go on to do great things. But I want to focus in on one particular apostle tonight, and that's the apostle Peter. And he is probably one of my favorite characters in the Bible, other than God, of course. But Peter is great because he's very, he's, he's like the most relatable person in, in the New Testament, and one of the most relatable people in, in the Bible, one of the most relatable people ever, ever of all time. He, because we get to follow him in his humanity and see him fail and then see him be lifted up by God. There's, there's tons of other reasons why I enjoy Peter. For starters, he was a fisherman that didn't know how to fish, right? So when Jesus, like the first, one of the first times we see Peter, he's in a boat and Jesus joins him in this boat and Peter, and Jesus is like, hey, you should cast your net over here. And Peter's like, listen, Jesus, I'm a fisherman. I've been fishing all day. And the fish aren't biting. Like, I'm giving up. And Jesus is like, no, 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 you should, you should, you should really cast your net over here. And then he does that, and he, and he gets a bunch of fish. And then finally Jesus is like, I mean, what, what's recorded is Jesus is like, you should follow me. And, and he gets up and follows him. But I'm, I'm starting to think that Jesus is like, hey, you're no good at this whole fisherman thing. You should, you should leave this boat and come follow me. And that's what happens. And so we see, we see Peter kind of be this like right-hand guy to Jesus throughout his ministry. There's 12 disciples, but then there's like three who are in like Jesus' inner circle that are like kind of do, like anytime there's like disciples doing specific things and there's a specific number, Peter most likely is in that group. And so another story that I love 
about Peter because he puts his foot in his mouth a lot and he does things and he makes mistakes. And so one of the, one of the a story that most likely everybody knows is the story when Jesus walks on water, right? He, there's a storm and he's in a boat and he gets out and he just decides to walk on water. And, and these 12 disciples see this and they're like, what's going on? This is amazing. And the only person to think that he could also walk on water and follow Jesus was Peter. And so he gets up, up out of the boat and starts walking on water with Jesus, following him. But then what people like to focus on is after like, he kind of takes a couple steps, he looks down and he sees that he's walking on water doing the supernatural, doing the miraculous just like Jesus, and he starts to sink. And Jesus pulls him up and, and scolds him and says he doesn't have enough faith. But I always admired Peter in this story because there was 11 other disciples, followers of Christ, that didn't think to jump out of the boat and, and walk with Jesus on the water. But, but, but Peter did. Now, there are other times, too, where Peter does just really dumb things. And there's, there's a, at one point, the night before Jesus is, um, the, night, the, the night that Jesus gets arrested, before he's crucified, he's in the upper room with Jesus, and Jesus says that one of them is going, one of the disciples is going to betray him. him. He's going to betray Jesus. And Peter, immediately, like, without hesitation, which he does a lot throughout the Gospels, he's like, oh, that's, that won't be me. I follow you no matter what. Like, you're my guy. I would never do that. And Jesus is like, Peter, before the rooster crows, you'll, betray, you'll, you'll deny me three times. And so sure enough, Jesus gets arrested. And while he's on trial, before the sun rises, Peter has three different opportunities to identify himself as a follower of Christ. People ask him, like a grown man, like two grown men ask him, and then a little girl asks him, hey, don't, I've seen you with Jesus. Haven't you followed Jesus? And Peter's like, oh, me? No, I don't follow Jesus. No way, because he gets scared, and he, he loses the hope that he has in Jesus. And after that, Jesus gets crucified, and, and, the, and, the, and the, follow, the person that he was following for three years is dead, and he feels terrible. And we see him at, at the lowest of lows in Scripture, and that's, and that, that's right there. Another funny story about Peter is he's not only is he a terrible fisherman, he also wouldn't be a good soldier. So the night that Jesus gets arrested, Peter has a sword with him, which I, it's kind of crazy that, I mean, he's just like this kid too. So like he has a sword on him and he goes to like protect Jesus and he goes to like, I think kill, probably kill the guard that is arresting Jesus. And instead of like chopping off his head, he chops off his ear. So he's just like very, I don't know how that's even possible. Like he, the first couple of times I read that story, I kind of thought like he might have been a swordsman and like he was like doing something cocky to like cut off an air. But no, he was just that bad. He missed the head and he just only got the air. And Jesus quickly scolds him and is like, hey, like if, if you don't need to protect me, I, I, I can have a legion of angels come down at any minute. But, but Peter was a kid and Peter was someone that constantly was putting his foot in his mouth and was just somebody that failed a lot. And we saw that in, in the Gospels. And that's why I really identify with him. He, he probably was no older than me, probably closer to high school age than my age. So early 20s. And this is a guy that followed Jesus every single day. And so I'm talking about Peter because he goes on to write books. And that's a passage that we're going to talk about today. It's 1 Peter 1, 13 through 16. And the, the, the verse says this, Therefore, with minds that are fully alert and sober... Set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. You see, Jesus calls each and every one of us to follow him. Wherever you are at, Jesus calls you to follow him, to be a follower of his life for you. Peter was a fisherman, so Jesus got on a boat with Peter and called him to follow him. He will meet you where you are at and call you. 
Even when he fails, even when you, when you can fail him, Jesus will continue to call him. I talked about how Peter denies Jesus three times. It is just at the lowest of lows. Jesus dies and then he resurrects. And when he comes back to Peter, guess what Peter's doing? He's fishing. He kind of gives up his life of, of being a follower of Christ. And he goes back to what he was doing before he knew Christ. And he's fishing. And guess what? He's not doing well because he's not catching anything. And Peter says, or Jesus says, hey, cast your net over here. And he pulls up a big load of fish and like it breaks the net and they have breakfast together. And Jesus encourages him. See, even after all the failure, all the all the times that Peter put his foot in his mouth and failed Jesus, Jesus was still there calling him. And he's calling us too. He's calling each and every one of you. And so this passage is telling us that even though we may lose, like, sorry, it's telling us to put our hope in Christ. That's the main command of this, of this verse right here. Put our hope in Christ. Prepare ourselves. Be sober-minded. It says prepare, but really what it actually says because I'm in seminary and I learned this stuff, like what it actually says, not the flex, but it says this. It says, gird your loins and set your hope in Jesus. Gird your loins is a very popular phrase in the Bible, and it's a very weird phrase now, but pretty much what it says is before men would go to battle or go work all day, they would have to like ready their, their loincloth because it was kind of like a skirt, so they had to be ready to move around and, and react to things. So girding your loins meant preparing yourself. So prepare yourself to, be, to set your hope on Christ. It's, it's a weird concept, I know, but we'll get over it. And it's, 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 charging, it's, a, it's a battle charge because it's not always easy to set our hope in Christ. You see, Peter didn't set his hope in Christ when he had the opportunity to identify with him. Even after he was called and, and, he, and he followed Jesus around for three days, or for three years, he was called to follow Jesus, but he didn't set his hope in him and he denied him three times. And so now he's writing this book years later saying, hey, no, you need to put your hope in God. Put your hope in Christ because that's the best way to live. A few, pa- a few verses earlier in this, in this same chapter, he's talking about Christ offers a living hope to us. And so that's why he says, therefore, with minds fully alert, gird your loins. Prepare yourself for battle. Prepare yourself for hard times because Jesus has called you to be his son. Now, Peter has a right to say this because he lost all hope. And then he saw what it was like when he finally put his hope in, in Jesus. And, and that's what brings us to our second point. Jesus changes us. See, in the Gospels, we see Peter as this, like, the last person you, you trust with a task, this guy who's consistently failing Jesus. And even though he's got a lot of faith, he says a lot of things, but when it, when it comes up to, like, actually prove it, he doesn't, he doesn't back it up with his actions. But Jesus changes us, and that's what Jesus does with Peter. 1 Peter 1.14 says this, As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in your ignorance. See, once we answer the call that Jesus has for our lives, we start to change. Now, it's easy to like, think it's the other way around. Like, in order to be a part of Christ's family, in this, in this verse, he says that you are children, as obedient children. Once we, once we follow Christ, we become children. But it's easy to think if we, need, if, we, if we are to become followers of God, we first need to be like righteous people, good people, churchgoers. I remember when I was in high school, I would always invite kids to come to, to my youth group. And like the first response, they'd be like, nah, I, I'm too bad. I, I, can't, I can't do that. I mean, if I walked into a church, it'd probably burst into flames. I, I, I'm too evil to be, go to church. I'm too bad. This verse is telling us, and Peter is telling you right now, there's, there's nothing that you have to do 
in order to accept salvation and, and to be a follower of Christ. What you need to do is put your faith in him. See, Jesus is calling us, and all we need to do is answer the call. And then once that call happens and we answer that, we, we begin to change. Pastor Mike says this. If you guys come on Sunday mornings, he always says this, and I think it's really brilliant and very simple. He says it, it's, we often think it's faith plus works equals salvation. And what I mean by salvation is being a Christ follower, having eternal life, going to heaven when you die. That's what salvation is. And so people often think, I need to be good. I need to check off all these things to do and, and be, be a good Christian in order to go to heaven. And I also need to have faith. And then I'll receive salvation. But really the equation is faith equals salvation plus works. So once we, re- once we have this faith, we receive this salvation and it changes us. It changes us into people that do good works. And it's particularly super noticeable with Peter's life. Right? In the Gospels, he's just this kid that is constantly, you know, I've already, I've already stated, he's a bad fisherman, he's a bad swordsman, and he's a bad follower of Christ, really. And then Jesus dies, he resurrects, and he comes back to Jesus. Or he, he comes back to Peter and calls him back to the, to the stray. He says, if you love me, you'll feed my sheep. And that's exactly what Peter does. The next, the next kind of like, the sequel to the Gospels is Acts. And it follows, it's the very beginning, the first thing that happens in Acts is Jesus is resurrected, and he goes up to heaven. He, he, he ascends into heaven. And the disciples are looking up, and then the angels come to them and say, hey, it's, it's time for you guys to obey what Christ has told you to do and, and, and to change the world around you. Because before Jesus leaves, he, he, leaves a, he commissions them and says to spread the gospel to the ends of the earth. And so that's what the disciples do in the book of Acts. And like the, the, the leader of that movement is Peter. And we see that immediately. As soon as Jesus ascends, they go back to Jerusalem, and Peter's the one leading the 12. And then Acts 2 happens, and the Spirit comes on them. And Peter's the one who gets up. I mean, they all get up and talk, but Peter's the one who's recorded and is the one giving the gospel. He's the, the first leader of the church. And, and in Catholic traditions, they believe that Peter was the Pope. And there's a passage in Matthew that talks about that. But Peter was this first leader after Jesus ascends. So if you read the book of Acts and you go back and read the book of the, the gospel, you'll think like, that's not the same Peter, right? The, the, the same Peter that said he wouldn't deny Jesus and then he goes on to deny him three times, that, that literally 24 hours later, less than 24 hours later, that's not the same guy. But it is. And that's because the power that Jesus has in, in our lives. And the good news is that power that changed Peter is available to each and every one of you. If we answer the call, we get that power that changes lives, and it changes Peter. And that's another reason why I love Peter, because we, not only do we see him at his lowest of times, but we see what the, what the Spirit does in his life, and we see how he's changed. And it's inspiring. But it doesn't stop there. Point number three, Jesus commands us to be holy. And so the last two verses of this, of this passage, it says this, but just as he who called you is holy... So be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. So we are all called. And then that calling, once we answer that, we become changed people. We can see a a change in our lives because we've answered the call to Jesus. We can look at Peter and just see how his life changed. And then point number three is Jesus commands us then to be holy, to live a holy life. And so Peter here is quoting scripture. This is a fun little fact. Whenever in the New Testament it says, for it is written, that means that they're probably quoting something from the Old Testament. It's, it's a really cool idea because they had the Old Testament with them. 
And the New Testament wasn't written yet because they were literally writing it. So they, they used, oftentimes authors are using the Old Testament. So if you ever get confused, you, you can go back to those Old Testament passages and start to understand what, better what the New Testament is saying. And, and he's quoting something from the book of Levit- Leviticus here. Leviticus is one of those books that people tend to like skip. Like a lot of times I'll hear people say like, you know, I, I started reading the Bible like every day and like I wanted to get through the Bible. And like sometimes like they'll get through Genesis and Exodus and then they get to Leviticus and it's like, oh, I, I, none of this applies to me. I can't, I can't do this. And so Leviticus is the third book in the Bible and it's part of the Pentateuch. It's part, it's, it's part of the first five books of the Old Testament. It's a very important to the canon of scripture, to to the Bible, it's, it's, it has a long narrative. And Genesis is about the creation account and getting the family started of God, the people of God. But then Exodus, right, is the story of the Israelites. They're enslaved by Egypt. And then the Lord delivers them and they, they come out of Egypt. And then they, they get to Mount Sinai and they get the law and they, they learn how to live a life. And at the end of Exodus, they build this tabernacle. It's a very, like, very intense instruction on how to build this tabernacle. And what this tabernacle does is allows the presence of the Lord to be dwelling among the Israelites. Just like how when we accept Christ and do our lives, the Holy Spirit dwells in us, that's kind of what the, what the Israelites were doing at the end of Exodus. They were building this tabernacle so that they, they, they were these chosen people and the Lord wanted to dwell with them, so they needed to build a place for him to dwell. And it was in the middle of their camp. But in order for them to do this, they, in order for, Jesus, or for the Lord to dwell in their presence, they had to live a certain way. And that's what Leviticus is about. If, if, if the Israelites wanted the Lord to be with them, they had to live a very specific way. And that's what Leviticus is all about. And first it goes through like sacrifices and different, different regulations and, and things that you have, cleansing things that you have to do in order to be around the presence of God. But then it, then it gets to like practical parts of living. And once you get towards the end of Leviticus, you start to realize that it's not just simple things that you need to check off each and every day, but it's the way you treat people. It's the way, it's the way you do life that, that makes you holy. And that's what this passage is reminding. That's what Peter's reminding his readers right here. He's saying, if you want to be holy, you need to do it in every facet of your life. In every way you live your life, you need to be holy. So it's really easy to like compartmentalize, which is, what it, what it means is like you, you, you set off certain times to, to do certain things in your life, and like you schedule, and like that's how you behave in certain, like a good example is like when I, when I was in high school, I played sports, I played lacrosse, and lacrosse was a sport that like you really needed to practice a lot, and so when I was in practice, I was really focused on lacrosse, but then when the offseason came around, I stopped playing lacrosse, and I, I lost a lot of skills. I would compartmentalize my time with lacrosse, and it, and it, it started to affect me. That's what we're not supposed to do with holiness. Like another good example is spring break's coming around and we're not, we're not gonna be focusing on studies when we get on spring break. There is no spring break with holiness. There's no paid time off. There's, there's nothing like that. There's no weekends. Every aspect of our life, we are called to live holy lives. And, it's suppo- and that's because we are changed by the call that Jesus has and it affects every part of our lives. And now obviously this is not something that's super easy, but it's something that we have help with. The Holy Spirit indwells us and it pushes us and it urges us to, to live a holy life. And the cool thing is, a, a huge reason why we are called to live a holy life is because when we do that, we start to like leak the love of Jesus, bleed it out, be mirrors of who God is to the rest of the world, and it starts to bless everybody. 
A huge call for the Israelites back in Exodus and Leviticus to live the way that they lived was so they could affect not only the people around them and their own personal lives, but the rest of the lives, the rest of the nations around them. So if you read like the first five books of the, of the Pentateuch, you see not only the Israelites' people like flourishing under God, but then people around them, their lives getting changed because of this way of living, this holiness. So we are called to be holy because we are changed by Christ, but we're called to be holy in every aspect. It should, it should influence in every, in every way. And so one, one way I like to think of this, um, it makes me think of one of my favorite baseball players of all time. His name is A.J. Przinsky, okay? I don't know if you guys have ever heard, if you guys have ever heard, does anyone in this room know A.J. Przinsky? Okay, we got, we got a few. A.J. Przinsky was the catcher for the Chicago White Sox when the White Sox won the World Series in 2005. If you guys don't know, I'm a huge White Sox fan, okay? And he's, he's known for a lot of things. I know him as the guy who won the World Series in 2005 and he was the catcher. But there's a picture that we have. Did, do we have the picture? No? Oh, yes. So... One of, one of Przinsky's, like, this, I'm getting off track because I just love sports and I love talking about A.J. Brzezinski, but, like, he was also this guy, this guy no one liked. And, like, you know, like, Draymond Green, like, everyone kind of doesn't like him, but, like, if you're a Warriors fan, you love him. That was A.J. Brzezinski for sports. And, okay, why am I talking about A.J. Brzezinski? <laughs> he was a catcher, right? And he was ambidextrous. So that meant that he could catch one day with his left hand and one day with his right hand. And so depending on the pitcher that was pitching that day, he would catch the way that they, that they wanted him to catch. So if, if the pitcher wanted him to catch left, he would catch left. If the pitcher wanted him to catch right, he'd catch right. And that, that would change everything about his life. So what he did to prepare for that was if he was going to do a day where he was dominantly right, he woke up doing everything with his right hand. So he'd brush his teeth in the morning with his right hand. He'd drive to work and, with his right hand. He'd, he'd open doors with his right hand. He'd do everything with, with right being his dominant hand. So that by the time game time got ready, he was, he was ready to, to, to do the best he possibly could. And then not only that, it benefited the pitcher because it, because it affects the pitcher and how he throws the ball. So he would do things, he had a conviction and it changed the way he lived life in every little aspect. Now that was just for baseball. Holiness is something that is much more important because we're talking about souls and the healthiness of souls here. And that's what Peter's calling us to do here. In every aspect of our lives, we are to live a holy life with the help of the Spirit, with the guidance of the Spirit. So we need to be in touch with the Spirit. We need to be in touch with Jesus. Go to church. Know, what, know what, what's talked about in the Bible. Talk to other people about Christ. Live, start living a holy life. Wake up in the morning and, and ask God, God, what, what do I need to do to, to follow you, to serve you? How can I make an, an effect in the people's lives around me? Because that's, that's a huge reason for holiness. Peter lived a holy life, and he, he sparked a movement through the Holy Spirit. He sparked a movement that, that started church today, and he goes on to do that all throughout Europe, and that's why we're doing this now is because Jesus lived, or Peter, or Jesus lived a holy life as well, but Peter lived a holy life, and just how Peter was called and commanded to live a holy life, we are too once we answer Christ's call in our lives. So Jesus calls us, he changes us, and then finally he commands us to be holy. So before I close, I wanted to ask you guys a couple of questions because you're probably at a different point. One thing I can guarantee each and every person in this room, whether you believe in God or not, Jesus is calling you. He's calling you to follow him. He's calling you to, to know what it means to be a Christ follower, to be a Christian. 
And then more specifically, he's calling each and every one of you individually to live a specific life. Because each and every one of you is different and has different passions and desires and strengths. Jesus has a plan for each and every one of your lives. And it's the best life possible for you to live. So are are you answering that call? Have you answered that call? And then if you have answered that call, has it changed you? Because Jesus, when you answered the call to your life that Jesus has for you, it changes you. So how has it changed you? Can you see how you were once ignorant in your ways, but now have changed because of the work that the Lord has done in your life? And then finally, has it caused you to live a holy life? Do you see yourself only being someone who is worshiping God when you're at Shig? Or, or is it something that kind of bleeds into the rest of your life when you go to school, when you're at sports, when you're doing whatever else that you do, when you're with your friends, with your family? Because that's what everyone in this room who has answered the call to be a follower of Jesus is called to live a life that's holy all the time. And we have, and everyone in this room has the power to do that because we have the same spirit that indwelled Peter, that, that guy who was a terrible fisherman and that guy who failed Jesus umpteen times, the, the guy who was consistently putting his foot in his mouth, but then ended up changing the world because of what he was preaching and what he was doing. The power that indwelled Peter also indwells you once you choose to follow Christ. So as we break up into small groups, we're going to explore what it looks like to, to be called by Jesus and what it looks like to be changed and to live a holy life. So let me close this in prayer.